0: everyone, it's Lisa Clapper here with a little Yayful Strategy series, TBD Name. And of course, because it's the Yay Show, I'm going to tell it in stories, through stories, about stories, and also just whatever comes to mind. And it's a little bit about improvisation, procrastination, via the Adam Grant Originals version of that, which I apparently do all the time and also some examples of procrastination, improvisation, when it maybe works, when it doesn't work, and what else? Some things that are yet to be revealed because they are yet to be thought of. So Adam Grant is an author who's written several books, uh, including originals, and that is the subtitle that is how nonconformists move the world. Hmm. Know anyone like that? Yeah. So (laughs) there's so much to talk about here. But in particular, um, he tells a story in the chapter called Fool's Russian about uh, Martin Luther King Jr.'s famous I Have a Dream speech, which he did not do days and days and weeks and weeks ahead. And he had talked about it quite a bit, written about it quite a bit. And he waited, according to the research, he waited until four days to begin working on it, four days before the march. And then he gathered group advisors to go back to the drawing board because he wanted to review the ideas again and get the best approaches. Now, I'm gonna pause in the middle of this. I think I can actually find my way back because I'm using some, uh, some storytelling aids here. And I wrote a note about Laurel. And Laurel is a person who, worked for I worked for at Citibank was almost a slip there I worked for her at Citibank and then I found my way to her at another company called Cirque and Laurel um, so King opened the meeting by explaining he wanted to review the ideas again and get the best approaches and that is something that we used to do a lot at Cirque and my previous role, before I was officially a strategist, even though I was a strategic thinker, is I would have to actually get us to make decisions and do things. And we were pitching, um, this is so long ago, I'm going to throw the names out, Pepsi. And we had a lot of different ideas. And was we were working, it's going to be an all-nighter. You know, so this is an all-nighter, and we're working through it, working through it. And then somewhere around 2 in the morning, oh, she's like well what if we did something completely different and at the time it's very funny because i'm looking back at it now at time because it was two in the morning and i'm sure i was exhausted and i was thinking we really have to deliver this thing and back in that day not only would we deliver these things and present them i'm pretty sure what we would do is make these beautiful presentations and they would have boards and then we would also bind them talk about funny process right to make something that is so ephemeral uh appear so permanent and that's one of the reasons that we needed to build in extra time to be able to actually get that bound and so the time of night this was happening or the time of the early morning i was really not very open to it and i think there's a lot of factors mostly being super tired and also my role of getting us to make a decision to do it but one of the things that uh Adam Grant talks about here in this very chapter that I'm referencing is that um, that there's a, there's a study, okay, there's a lot of things he talks about, but there's value in being patient if you want to institute changes. And there was an experiment where Car- Carnegie, this is in the footnote, no, I love footnotes. Carnegie Mellon Professor Anita Woolley gave teams 50 minutes to build a residential structure out of Legos. Um, scored on dimensions like size, sturdiness, and aesthetics. She randomly assigned teams to discuss their strategies either at the beginning of the task or after 25 minutes, which in this case was the midway point. So teams that looked at their strategies at the midpoint were 80% more effective than teams that had that conversation at the start. The beginning of the task was too early for the conversation to be useful. The task was unfamiliar, so they didn't know enough to set an effective strategy. so there was something about pausing that helped them construct these great buildings and legos that could be flipped about dropped about without breaking and and it's sort of the best basically groups (laughs) in the middle of a task i guess in this case one with an assigned amount of time and like think about games football games basketball games etc games Uh, He makes that reference as well. It's like, it's the best time for a leader to institute change as it's when groups become most open to originality. They still have plenty of time to try new things, which makes them receptive to radically different approaches. And since they've used up half their time, they're highly motivated to choose a good strategy. This is one of the reasons that halftimes can be so influential in basketball and football. They allow coaches to intervene when teams are most amenable to new strategies. Pretty cool, huh? So... uh, I'm going to do my segue in the middle of my segue here, which is strategy. So this is why um, I'm going to do a two-parter. The first part is when we worked with Deloitte and I worked with Lauren Schiller, who, shout out, has a great podcast called Inflection Point, Stories of Women Rising Up, which can be found wherever you get your podcast and you can support her on Patreon which I do and you can also listen to her if you happen to be local in the Bay Area on KALW and the live show predates the podcast which is kind of cool there's actually a live show I don't actually know if it's live but at some point she's live talking to the person she's talking to so I brought Lauren in to help me with the project and I may have talked about this project before but in the context of this conversation about procrastination and improvisation. We, and she helped me create the structure because she had done it before, which was um, we basically uh, broke up into three different teams and we organized them based on a number of principles, which I'm not gonna go into here, that we were hoping would would help us produce the best outcomes. We did three rounds of what they had to do was basically prototype. Eat. there were three different things one was a sort of a physical manifestation of this another one was an app and the third one was like a workshop version of this thing a live experiential version and at the end of every section which was i don't know maybe 90 minutes maybe less uh 90 minutes i want to come back to that because that's also related to something i wanted to bring in so at the end of 90 minutes we asked the teams to come back and present. What did they learn? What are they going to do next? What did you learn? What are you going to do next? And instead of presenting the ideas, instead of presenting like the answers, it was sort of like this framework: of What did you learn? What are you going to do next? And then to keep going, because we wanted them to keep working through, to keep iterating, to keep prototyping through, and. Um, it's interesting because like some teams hit their groove really early. Some teams needed to change up the the people who were participating. And some of that happened naturally because somebody needed to leave. And we realized we needed to resort those teams. And that team ended up kicking butt on the second round. Uh, team A kicked butt on the first round and then started to lose their way. And they found their way back. Team C, a um, variety of reasons mostly ego related, they were not able to ego politics dynamics. They were they were not um, they were not ready to create their original things and and be I guess a to new strategies. And that team needed to do things afterwards, which is fine. It worked out fine in the end. Which brings me to sort of this idea of this pause and the I I actually paused in the middle of reading this this morning. And then I was pausing, I was actually procrastinating. And one of the things that, this this whole chapter's, well, not this whole book, but a lot of this, this section is about procrastination and uh, what's, yeah. Fools Rush In, I think it's called. Yes, Timing, Strategic practi- Procrastination, and The First Mover, Disadvantage. Apparently, this is a quote from Mark Twain, never put off till tomorrow what you can do the day after tomorrow. So, I paused before I, to read that, before I started to read that, and then when I was reading that, I was actually reading it to procrastinate. And then Adam Grant talks about procrastinating, writing the chapter about procrastinating, which is meta and very funny in its own right. But the procrastination is sort of a form of a pause and it gives you a chance to, I've talked about this before and I can't remember if I had heard Adam talk about this on a podcast or it's just something I've been wanting to be true because I do it or it's just something about how artists work or creative people or it's just how I work and accepting that is is accepting that. And I think it's a very useful thing in both creative and strategic pursuits, especially when you're looking to draw new ideas and concepts or recombine them into something new. It's super useful. And so the learn next with Deloitte, um, we created these points and these questions that enabled people to be open to ideas. And then we can also give them feedback and talk about that and then enable them to go back and dive in and keep iterating on those ideas. Right, so we were we were able to do that, and I, I think I had another segue in the middle of this, but I can't. I didn't write it down, so I don't know what it is. So I'll come back to you on that. Um, but what I was going to say was that I don't always, I have not always done this, and this is something I think I'm learning, especially with workshops. And we were talking when I was telling you the story of Laurel and being burned out in the middle of the night for that client pitch. And if we had allowed, maybe if we had allowed ourselves more time to build in the procrastination and the pause and the marination, you know, then uh, I and the other people on my team would have been more receptive to that. But we had procrastinated so much that we were up against the wall. You know, I can't tell you what happened. Did we win it? I don't know. We got some version of some kind of business out of it. But I personally was not a big fan of the method to Laurel Rossi's Madness. Of course I was quite a bit younger and um, I wasn't in that, I am the creative, impetus, catalyst, idea person role, you know, as an account person. And I was trying to actually account for things, if you will, project manage it, do other things, but put it all together so that could be why and it could have been the timing and it could have been the crush of it all and um but what i do know if i know anything about laurel is that she always had some pretty out there creative ideas that would be that would be welcome if we could figure out the right ways to welcome them so that's something that i can't go back and tell you about when i did work with her more later and we did create some really cool stuff when We were working on different things for different clients and um you know i don't know if those are the methods we used or we backed into those methods but they worked out for whatever reason they worked out um and so in workshops or storms ea storms where you're you're working through things with people and you want them to give you a lot of input and you have a lot of questions and exercises and different things like that as your let's see as my of paper that I'm talking to you about blows away. Follow me down with that. Um, As you do things like that, as you build workshops, what I've come to believe and know is really important is to build in a lot of space. Space to write, space to think, space to marinate, space to eat, space to talk not about what you just did space to drink perhaps if that is your thing you like to do alcohol or non-alcohol space to step away space to do your regular stuff be that email or answering calls answering heating calls all that good stuff and so um, it's just in practicality it can be Pretty challenging and hard to get people to give you space and time but I think what I learned when I worked at a place that was all about space and time and creating that was that you have to ask for it and you have to build it in and if you don't people want to move fast we'll keep moving fast so you gotta build that stuff in. <laughs> so in a way, I'm like building strategic procrastination into a project. That is something that I've been doing. And Karen Crento and I, when we work on projects, we, we build in these spaces for thinking, for marinating, marinating <laughs> for marinating, for stepping away, for stepping back. And I personally do a lot of my initial thinking And writing in analog with pens of many colors and coats of many colors and I go back and then look at things and circle them and write them and then rewrite them or not write them or not look at them because they're in my mind and I think that one of the other things that no I don't think that I know so one of the other things that Adam talked about with Martin Luther King jr. was that Um, Great procrastinators don't skip planning altogether. They procrastinate strategically, making gradual progress progress by testing and refining different possibilities. So, although memorable lines about the dream were improvised, King had refers variations of them in earlier speeches. Um, During the year of his dream speech alone, it is estimated that he traveled over 275,000 miles and delivered over 350 speeches. So while he may have deferred writing the dream speech itself, he had a wealth of material at his disposal that he could draw upon extemporaneously, which made his delivery more authentic. He, collect, he had collected a repertoire of oratorical fragments. I love that. Oratorical fragments. And honestly, I think that's what I have all over my crazy head. And like a lot of pieces of paper have lots of fragments of oratoral oratory than otherwise um so that's how i often do the yay show and i think it's a way to do strategy that's strategic and procrastinating and that you got to build in these plans and be super um planful but allow lots of spaces so In the next few workshops that I am planning to do, and that one of the ones we proposed recently was actually to give it three full days. It's like you start, you have a half a day, and you go through some of the initial things, and then we give people some homework, fun kinds of homework to think about. And then that next day, they don't hang out with us at all. They're doing their other things, but in the background, They're going to be thinking about the seeds that we planted and the topics we've already discussed. And then we're going to come back on day three and reconvene. And you know that there will be great power and creativity and insight and revelation that will come from that. Uh, I'm not going to give you a guarantee of that um, because I'm like, if you sign up for my course, I will guarantee you 18 pieces of revelation and insight that's not a promotional right because i don't believe that's how this stuff works but I, I can guarantee that we will set up the conditions for it and that there are other things like being well fed and caffeinated and potentially i haven't done this yet but microdosing of something but like we i talked at the during the last strategy yay show about how about intimacy and connection and letting guards down and taking layers off and ways to get that, be it walking or talking, or just being familiar with each other, getting to know each other over time, or different ways to uh, let those guards down and loosen those shields and slough off the skin of the protective layers, right? And I think that time really helps with that. And so that's something we're going to build in. But if you want to think about what I wanted to also talk about is an example of when um, another collaborator and I, Colm Lynch, um, working in great collaboration and partnership. So a lot of clients say they want to create true partnership with you. And I think that's a great thing to say. And I think if you say it, then we know that you want to do it. But to demonstrate that is sort of to co-create this guided path and to say like it's like i know what i want to be able to get out of this not specifically but this amazing understanding of a place an organization a person a brand and to create the conditions in which that could happen strategically planfully um as he talked about it uh planning you know you plan for it so that it can happen. So you set up the, you sort of set up the opportunity for surprise. And Frances Hoover, who used to run strategic advancement and communication at the Philadelphia School, is now the executive director of a play space and soon to be preschool outdoor space in Philadelphia also, is like that rare and rarefied collaborator who, it's like this, one of these things, and to pause in the middle of this, it's sort of like when you talk about vulnerability and coming back to vulnerability and letting, letting yourself down and realizing that, not having the answers and knowing that you don't have the answers and knowing that you don't know and not knowing what you don't know, but knowing that you don't know and knowing that you don't know, and you don't know together and be open to what the road will turn out to reveal and with the road will sort of reveal itself as you go there's a there's a quote i think it i don't know if it's from a david white poem but it was in the middle of nature and the nature and the human soul and again here i am with my brain fragments and things of that nature but it's it's about how you you make the road by walking it right so it's the idea of like we we create the road by walking the road and create the road by walking the road. I don't know what chapter that's in. Probably the wanderer in the cocoon, right? Who do you think's making a road? A thespian in an oasis? A wanderer in a cocoon? I'm pausing. Not the wanderer in the cocoon. Ah, The Soul Apprentice at the Wellspring. I've talked about this book before. Check it out when you get a chance. If you'd like to. If you'd like to. Yeah, I can't find the poem. I cannot find it just a moment. Let me give it one more shot. The Artisan in the... Ah, of course it is. Of course it's The Artisan in the Wild Orchard. Which is late adulthood, stage six. Antonio Machado from Proverbs and Tiny Songs. You, walking, your footprints are the road nothing else. There is no road, walker. You make the road by walking. By walking, you make the road. And when you look backward, you see the path that you never will step on again. Walker, there is no road, only wind trails and the sea. Beautiful. Um, And so true. So this is walking the road, making the road by walking it. And so truly, if you're in partnership with somebody, you can have a lot of frames and structures and things that are signposts signposts along this road that are uh, ways to define the road, borders, like a way to know that when you're in the wilderness that you're off-road, you're off-road, and a way to know when you're on road, or that actually by going off-road, you create the road. You know, it's just sort of like holding hands and being in it together that creates that trust. And... The trust to hold hands and being in it together creates more trust and it helps illuminate and vastly increase the chances of the road being infinitely more interesting, surprising, and enlightening. And walking the road with Francis is like that. And so, like, I think when you know, both two things or three things earlier in my career, um, being a literal young lady, like most of us are um whether or not we identify as young or ladies but we don't know what we don't know and we can be quite a bit more structured and literal in both our creation and interpretation of things and that may or may not be true if you're born super creative or you're not a late bloomer or any of that um it may not be true right it may be true I don't know. I don't know where I was going with that because I just lost track of the road. Um, Yeah, so when you're... Okay, this is what it is. When you're early in your career and you think that you need to have the answers, you're less apt to admit that you need a a co-pilot, somebody riding shotgun, or you're riding shotgun. You know, You're less likely to know... That not having the answers is the first question to knowing how to walk the road and it become the road, right? Like, so it's like to say that you don't know is the first admission of not knowing and the first way to learn. So that's why it's so easy to learn when you're a little kid because you know you don't know anything. And you don't even know the difference between knowing and not knowing. And Everything is this beautiful awe-inspiring beginner's experience so instead of having to access beginner's mind you literally have beginner's mind and when i was listening to an on being the other day with um a woman who's a social psychologist and studies children and she talked she talked a bit about how there are Like, people's experiences with meditation and psychedelics and things of that nature can actually open up your mind so that it comes back to being more like the mind of an under five-year-old, which is pretty rad if it can be. And I've experienced that, not just in that situation, but I feel like I'm definitely much more tapped into that. Yeah, it's pretty rad, and I'm looking for, I'm thinking I would have taken notes on that, but I'm not finding a lot of notes on it. Pausing. There'll be background music to fill this moment in. I didn't find it, but you can find it wherever, as I was listening to a podcast the other day, yesterday, uh, the Bechtelcast. Bechtelcast, where they, a bunch of women analyze movies to see how well they fit, this idea of women talking to each other, not about men and having lines and roles that matter in movies what they said is you know how to find podcasts I don't need to tell you how to find a podcast. so look for on being find the one I think it's from 130 about this and you'll understand what I'm saying and so maybe when you get a little older (coughs) your mind gets closer to your younger mind and you can access beginner's mind and growth mindset and not being um, not having a fixed mindset maybe I don't know I feel like that i get more and more like that and i also just don't care anymore i don't need to be right (laughs) i don't need to be right i need to find what's best and right and most awesome most yay for the brand for the people and so it doesn't really matter to me what we choose and where we find it and you know we used to say at different places i work that good ideas come from anywhere and yet like the demonstration of that is what matters so again it's like the walking the walk of the talk instead of just saying it so do you say you're a partner or do you act like a partner coming back to francis and how partnery she acted and was all along the way you know and to be able to feel like um you a client values you for your brainstorming together for your not knowing and for your mucking it up with them to find out the knowing, to even find out the questions. And maybe the questions are, are the answers. And maybe what you find out is that questions are more important than answers. And by having that kind of growth mindset, you can find an answer that is a question, and maybe even try that out in the world in an external-facing campaign. And maybe... You go in thinking you know or you know parts of it or you have enough ingredients that you can find that together but some of the most fun moments with clients partners friends are when you're doing that you're just sort of like mucking it up and and sort of like getting in the oh man i don't want to like go through all these like these sports metaphors though or these like gladiatorial metaphors are just so prominent in our society right and so in that, like, it's like getting in the ring together, not to fight, but to be, you know, like if you're thinking about GLOW, Gorgeous Ladies and Wrestling, to be on the same tag team. But, you know, since it's all acting anyway, it doesn't really matter. So the game and the value of the game that people can actually pay you to not know to find out and that they value your not knowing, they value your questions, they value your outside perspective, they value your creating pauses and places where they can get outside of their own day to day to do that because truth is, the way that most organizations are structured is the fun stuff that I consider fun that I get to do every day, they don't get to necessarily do every day, they do it in the margins, on the marginalia of their jobs and that what that means is they might be having some of the most fun when they get to work on these types of projects with you, depending on what you do. You know, that for me, that's very true because they get to explore that side of themselves and that side of the organization and they may um, otherwise be put into structured boxes and not get to fly their freak flags, right? So I wanted to tell you exactly what Coleman, Francis and I did together. And here's the thing, right? So she literally helped, based on what we were talking about, what we needed to learn, which was (coughs) we wanted to get a sort of a 360 degree and dive as deep as we could over a very short time. So this is from a Wednesday, through a friday and really it's over two days that we did this and we went to the philadelphia school colman and i and before we went to the philadelphia school here's what we did so this is my secret sauce of what i would recommend for someone if you can build it in and depending on what your who your stakeholders are and what your constituencies are the key is to get a whole lot of diversity of thinking and perspectives together in different chunks and bursts and not to try to do it all at once sometimes you're kind of in a situation where you just are able to have one workshop and i think that the raddest stuff happens when you can do lots of different kinds of workshops i talked last week about the last week or whenever i talked about the last strategy thing when we talked to the students in the student round table right at philadelphia school so anyway here's what i'm gonna tell you is what so we started this project project and we on our understanding process they had done some research and some stuff and we combed through that we looked through that frankly that wasn't the most important stuff it was sort of background and like you know looking mining for gems from what had already been done but if somebody's asking the questions in a different way and they're not getting people to open up if you will and then After that, they don't get people to open up in the same way. And by the way, I'm going to caveat this by saying I know I'm not the only person that can do this in the world. I'm just telling you about the magic that happens when I'm there. I don't know what it's like. I know a lot of other people do awesome work and bring so much good stuff out of people and all kinds of workshops and situations in life. And I can only tell you about the times that it happened for me. Which is why it's the yay show. So you have to excuse my uh, little froggy clearing throat thing because I am, I don't know, like in the midst of, you know, whether this is a little something or, a little, you know, it's just something that's not completely gone. So we started. We said we need to talk to naysayers or people who didn't say yay or people who are accepted and didn't say yay. So we talked to... I don't know, maybe three parents who had been accepted by the Philadelphia school and then decided to go elsewhere. And I'm not going to name names, but one of the things that happened was there was somebody who ironically, an admissions person who felt really formal and was sort of a disconnect from the school that doesn't feel super formal and they also weren't really receptive to the parents' questions, which is super interesting, right? So that's kind of a disconnect. As I'm telling you, what we did later was make a brand that was almost, um, you know, the crux of it is about questions. And to have that come across seems like either somebody was having not a great day or, you know, whatever happened, it did not reflect the school in a way that brought that person in. But it was super useful to know that so that you can see like it's not how we want to come across if that's not how we want to come across then it's something we have to think about from you know a brand consistency standpoint so from a brand consistency standpoint you know everybody in your brand everybody in your organization they don't need to conform what they need to do is reflect and express the essence and the experience of your brand in in ways that reflect and express the experience of your brand. Right? So if everybody's different and conflicting, inconsistent in the feeling and the vibe and the messages you get, then you are sort of beholden to either getting lucky and getting somebody who can really do it. Or like you're dependent on a variety of things that are less if you will, dependable. So that was the first thing we do, and that's a piece of information we got out of that experience. So we talked to a few parents who had gotten accepted, children had gotten accepted, and they said no. Then, Colm and I, we had said, "You, we don't have the budget or the time, but actually I think this is a great way to go about it. Pick your most important competitor, and we will focus on understanding them and so the next thing we did when we landed in philadelphia probably on that wednesday is we went on a tour of the competitor together posing as parents with kids in two different grades like a young one in a preschool or kindergarten one like more of a fourth or fifth grade and we not only did we learn a ton about that school that other school and how sort of academic and traditional and emphasizing on sports and alumni and lots of great things but also what we learned was how they viewed the philadelphia school and they viewed them as like super woo-woo super out there like left of uh abby Abby hoffman which is a reference some of the people who listen to this may or may not get but feel free to look at him he was definitely a radical in the 60s, 50s 70s probably for as many decades as he could be so they viewed it as pretty radical which is cool you know and that came back to helping us um, later on we're like well are you going to own this and if you're going to own it what version of that are you going to own so that that begs a question right so how do other people see you so then so like i said francis co-created the schedule with us and so then the, the first thing we did after that was we went to a donor a leadership donor reception at the home of someone who was on the, I believe on the board or, um, played a big role in that. And so we got to talk individually to parents. We got to sit there, stand there and hear how the current leadership talked about the school. We got to see how that was received. We got cornered by individual parents about things that, like, you know, really painted a picture of something that was really interesting. We got, so we started to pull in, you know. And if you're a data person, and I'm, I don't like uh, boiling people down to data, but you know, if you want to, go for it. But like that, we started to get more data. We're starting to fill in our roadmap. We're starting to fill in our blueprint. We're starting to get more information here. So we. We, I think we met at TPS and walked over. So TPS is the Philadelphia school. So meet and walk over together, right? Meet and walk over together. So quick school glimpse, walk over together. We got to walk over with Frances. So we got a little intel and I hadn't seen her in, I don't know, 20 years, could it be? So it was good to, re, you know, even though we were on board with this together, to just, like, establish that live in-person contact. So then we got a lot out of that. Probably Colm and I went to dinner, and, like, was, we were digesting and, like, getting super excited and also going, like, oh, my God, this is going to be great. And, like, wow, we're just beginning. And here we go, right? Exhale, inhale, exhale. So then the next morning we started with an admission tour with the director of admission. Here again. We did not tell them we did not tell them that we were who we were yet, even though she was gonna meet us later, because again, this is gonna give you a different kind of perspective and information. And and there were on the previous tour we had a private tour, the two of us, the fake parents that we were. And on this tour, there were like four or five other parents, couples who were on the tour, plus a very small child who would either be going to preschool or kindergarten because she was with them and she and i had a moment super fun and we got to view the kinds of questions that parents asked we may have asked some questions but we got to dip into parts of the school and and see not just the physicality of it the experience of it but to see the vibrant buzzy feeling of the kids of all ages from pre-k to eighth grade running around and what that's like and to get the admission directors take on that and and one of the things we so the Philadelphia School doesn't have grades or standardized testings testings and one of the things that we got from that, especially from that experience, was this 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 way of apologizing for not being like other people, for not doing the grades, for not disciplining students. Somebody asked that question and we knew that was like they were not for the school, right? So two things came out of that that we got reinforced later. One was that they needed to own who they were and strike it in more of a positive balance and then not apologize anymore. You know, it's like you're not. And this is, you're going to laugh at me. Feel free to laugh. Esther and Abraham Hicks, the love attraction. No, Esther and Jerry channeled through Abraham. Read that for my abundance plus book club, January. And... One of the things they talk about, the entities that are Abraham and channeled through Esther are that there are two ways of looking at everything. There's what you want and there's what you don't want. There's the positive and then there's the negative. And the negative breeds more negative and the positive breeds more positive. So think about this way. If you're apologizing for not having grades instead of saying, so here's what we do, here's how we do it, here's why I was not even like answering that question in a way of saying, here's why we don't think grades are important, but also to say, so when our kids graduate and all along the way, they are prepared for what's next for them in such a way that they will be able to handle the tests and the grades that come next and also life, right? And she told us the story after we told her who we were about her husband, who went to Harvard, and I think he was a law practicing lawyer, and it was kind of a jo- joke, right? But he doesn't even really know how to make toast, and if his toast burns, he's crying. This is an exaggeration, right? But like he, Harvard, he learned all these things, all these case studies, all these like things, but he didn't like learn how to manage his toast burning. So at Philadelphia school, the kids learn, you know, not only how to manage the toast burning, but they burn it themselves and they rip it to shreds and they reconstitute it into something completely different and break it down and turn into a Lego project and then um, make toast sculptures. You know, you know, you get where I'm going with that, right? So that was an interesting moment and observation as well, right? So stop apologizing for who you are and stop comparing yourself to other people and just like be your best version of yourself right and then there was another aha moment that I can't remember from that that'll probably come back to me in a moment so we did that and then it was sort of like classroom visits and or interviews I'm not sure what we ended up doing right and then we we ended up switching we didn't do our lunch with teachers until the next day which was actually quite good so when we switched we did the um The lunch with the executive council, the student council, middle school students who we asked how being there made them feel, what it was like to go there, how it's different. And we got stories and stories. And I may not have told the story in the last episode, but one of the compelling stories also was about a kid who learned that he needed more structure than they had at the Philadelphia school. So that meant he had the agency to help decide the kind of high school that was going to give him that structure. So even by learning, it wasn't really the best thing for you. It turned out to be a really great thing for him. And then he can figure out how he wanted to learn next. Okay, So we did that. We did kindergarten observations. Oh, my God, that was amazing. So beaver and hedgehog presentations, kindergartners who basically use the like, you know, the scientific method to like go out there and learn about their you know the beaver and the hedgehog until give you a story and a lesson and learn something about that and to put it together in a way I think there were groups of two or three of them who teamed up and they used whether you know what skills they had and there was a whole way for them to do it and they it was amazing like it's just like covered so many different aspects and dimensions of what you could do and like the different ways that you could present that depending on how comfortable you were with writing or reading or pictures and one pair created a game a card game called Predator versus Prey to illustrate it was just ridiculous right so it's like war but there were you know you have prey and you have predator and you have pictures of those and then when you play the war like the prey loses the predator wins and then they one of the girls wanted to Make those cards and give them away for Christmas, for holiday gifts, for friends and family. I mean, they blew—they blew us away. And then we learned about, you know, how kids could. They learned they were set up to be able to listen with their ears. They were also set up to be able to, you know, do the superhero pose. And it's Amy Cuddy. You know, whether or not you know how you feel about that research you see in action. You know, super. I am a. I am confident. I am a superhero. I am a beaver expert. I am ready. I am awesome. Oh, so cool, and they were—they were amazing. And let's see—we did—we did one-on-one interviews with the head of communications. We had interview with um, the so she this one woman had had 25 years of service. So talk about like, wow, yeah. And I think we had time for a coffee in between. We interviewed the acting. Let's see, the woman who would become the acting head and the woman who was the head who would be outgoing because they were going to look for a new head. We interviewed them together, which was rad. And Frances sat in and it was like there was so much good stuff that came out of there. And then, I don't know if we had time for coffee, but then we had our first big multiple yay storm workshop with the strategic planning committee because they were uh, working on the strategic plan and they had a meeting anyway so we dipped into that and spent an hour or so with everyone from there was a strategic planning consultant the head of school the division director preschool director incoming head of school the assistant head of school gosh, I met him later um, division director for another bits of grace CFO um, communications Person, the board chair, assistant board chair, board secretary, board treasurer. So people were very big on the board. And we got some amazing stories from that. Stories that then made it into the YAFESTO, stories that became illustrative of the crux of what that school was all about. One was something that we ended up deleting from the manifesto because it could be read in different ways but one woman said um my mother-in-law says my kids don't know their place and that makes me feel like they're getting the kind of education i want them to get right so you i'm not going to read into that so then after that we had the three of us had dinner francis Cullum and i had dinner and that's like and then i believe possibly that night probably that night the mind of Lisa Clapper starts going like crazy in a good ways. Like so, you're like, I have this downtime. that's not really downtime, and I start like thinking. And it's prior to the time when I started talking out loud about this stuff. So I think I open up a memo on my phone and I just start riffing and riffing and riffing. I already have ideas going because we've spent, you know, almost a, like a full day with them, a previous night. So we're really starting to build on this understanding of the school. And then the next morning. We have a workshop with parents, mostly parents, a former teacher, um, another former teacher, the head of admission who, you know, we met previously, someone in communications who I think was a consultant and uh, people with a variety. So there were like, it was a diverse group, um, people of color, men, women. Um, a couple of different parents who had, had children in different grades, actually like three of the parents, well chosen Francis, like four of the parents, somebody had twins in third grade. Somebody had a daughter in fourth grade, son in first grade, daughter in seventh and son in sixth, son in preschool, son in second, daughter in kindergarten, daughter in sixth. So you can see we're getting this great thing. And we, we did brand attribute exercise with them. We did, we got so much fruit from those conversations and conversations about, what parents care about and this conversation about how when they get to be, um, so a do- the woman that had a daughter in sixth grade, that they need this reinforcement that the school is still the right school for their kids. Because when you're in like fifth grade and you're going to soccer games and you're talking to other parents and they're like, you still don't have grades? Wait, what? The kids still go out to the um, nature center every week in sixth grade? Are you kidding me? So they start to need um, this, these sorts of things like reinforcement that they've still chosen the right school. What it illuminated a need for a continued community building and communication throughout the entire life of this school. Because as many of, you know, if your parents and I mean, I know parents who are going through this even as we speak that like something that is great for your kid in preschool or kindergarten may, is it going to be right for them? and Can you get all the information to know that it's right for them? Does school continue to meet you where you are? And if it doesn't, then can you have a real honest conversation with them about maybe making a different choice along the way? So those were some amazing. We got some great stuff out of there. We then had our um, lunch with the teachers. And that was like they were, I think I talked about this before, they were a little bit... It took them a while to to get down and you know they they did to get down with us and like to let to open up and let go and when they did it was really awesome we got some great understandings there as well and then we uh ended with the advancement team which was the direct sort of marketing and advancement team so the director of missions is back our client francis is the head of this uh, associate director of development Advancement Associate Director of Auxiliary Programs, Um, these wonderful women, as it happens to be all women, and they were just like so into what we were doing and so excited for what they had already heard about what we were doing that they, it was sort of like that was great to have them later. Like everything just worked out in this karmic sense of timing of, you know, when things end up, up happening. And I think doing the student lunch before the teacher lunch the day before really worked out but we had you know again started this on a wednesday full day thursday uh time away friday we had enough open times that coleman i could talk or just walk away take a breath take a moment and then he and i ended up spending the weekend together and i hung out with him and his wife and kids and it was just another chance to like we were driving we drove back Jersey from Philly more time I had plain time and lots of time so I had time away and time for us to keep marinating but even within that three-day immersion we built in time and we brought different groups together and some of the people you know were they kept coming back right so they could see the The building of things like like the the admissions director so it was great it was amazing and we co-created that experience together and we came out with some awesome stuff and i think i read you the yay festo last time i did this so that is a little bit about pauses and procrastination brought to life uh starting with the adam grant originals thing and a little bit of Uh, on the very famous Martin Luther King Jr. What became known as the I Have a Dream speech, but did not start out at all as the I Have a Dream speech. Um, I want to make one last coda, caveat, not a caveat, but a coda, which is that um, I, two things. One, I did this storytelling workshop last year, uh, February 26th, almost a year ago which was taught by a guy named Michael Cass and his co-creator, whose name I forget, he's a facilitator coach, award-winning storyteller. And he's, it's all about story circles and creating those. And it's really good stuff. I went with Ren and Allison, and um, we, he did some really cool stuff that I have seen afterwards, but slightly different ways to kind of break that ice and bring you together and have quick conversations one-on-one and then build towards that. And so the main sort of thing we did or the, the output was to, to write, I forget how long we wrote a story for, but we wrote a story. And then we, after we wrote that story, we sat down with two other people in a triad situation. I think it was two. Couldn't have been three. It was probably three total. And we, then told the story of that story to each other. Actually, it was four people. Yeah, look at that. It's pretty interesting. Okay, so four people. So then we needed, I forget how much time each, but what we did was we gave each other this unbridled, uninterrupted amount of time. And the feedback that Michael asked us to give each other was to listen with soft and shining eyes, which is a Mr. Rogers kind of thing. And... The kind of feedback to give is to take like to say a moment or an image that really resonated with us to just have deep appreciation for the gift of the story. So cool. And what I ended up doing, I didn't know I was going to do this, but I had told the story of how I started the A show many times to people in writing out loud. And so I had that story down and I wrote that story. And then I, you know, and one of the things he said was we need to write the ending of the story first, I think, right? So we wrote the ending of the story first, which the ending of the story is one of the ways you get to listen to me, which is because I was going to have this crazy ass thing I call the yay show on Apple by June 15th, right? Of last year, which, as you know, I exceeded his ass on all that. Um, so that was one of the things but what i did was because i put so when it came time for me to tell my story i ended up putting it down because i had told it so many times so i had all that oratorical fragment and the act of writing that story once again helped me tell the story so i told it i looked at it i put it down i told it And so that has nothing to do with procrastination, but it has something to do with improvisation, which is a related topic to improvisation and procrastination. So now I think that it's a sign that I'm going to stop talking to you. But I did want to tell you one other thing before all my pieces of paper blow away, which they are, because I'm outside doing this thing and... I've done it before, and I've got rocks, magical rocks, stones to hold my pieces of paper, but when you get a gust of wind, those rocks are not always enough. So I'm losing some of my paper. But a woman named Amanda, who I met at that very storytelling workshop, and she said she loved, she was like, I loved how you put that down, and then you told me that, and these parts resonate with me, whatever, whatever. I don't remember the details of that, right? And then I saw her again at a workshop at the Wing. And she and her collaborator, Barb, were doing this Five to Thrive thing, which I think Barbara Waxman, it's trademarked, so the Five to Thrive quiz is something that Barbara Waxman has created, I believe. Odyssey Group Coaching. Check it out. It was pretty cool. Super cool, in fact. So um, one of the things that they... And so I rank myself. I give myself like a 22 out of 25, which is thriving. And on time and effort, um, the first thing was I tackle the most challenging assignments of my day first. Okay. So here are the five things. One, I tackle the most challenging assignments of my day first. Two, I use technology and other tools to increase my productivity. Three, I work in approximately 90 minute increments with a break between activities. Four, I do not multitask to the extent I feel distracted. Five, I am able to communicate my needs and say no to people. So I gave myself a three out of five on that. But I did not say that I tackle the most challenging assignments of my day first. And I did not say that I work in approximately 90 minute increments. That said, I think that I do, and I'm starting to notice it, but just, you know, and sometimes I just have to make myself stop or start. So starting can be hard and stopping after 90 minutes. So, you know, 90 comes through two hours. Sometimes it's an hour, sometimes it's longer. Right now, I was getting ready for this for 10 minutes or so. I'm like, 60 minutes? This is like, I haven't talked this long in a, in a while, which is great. And my kitty's hungry because she's old and she wants some food and I'll give her food in a minute. Um, but she's got to wait just a couple of minutes before I finish this. And so, got cut off there. So tackling the most challenging assignments of my day first, you know, I don't always do that. I didn't do that today because I firmly believe in the Adam Grant procrastination method of, of having things on the back burner and working through other things to work through the things. Right. And that's not true with anything. Like if I literally have a deadline, that's In this case, I needed to look at some questions to make sure those questions felt good for a meeting when we were going to ask those questions about a potential project. And I felt like I didn't need to look at those questions right away. And in fact, one of the things I did was read originals and I read a few other things. I did a few other things that I feel are very important to my day, but I knew in the back of my head that I didn't really need to tackle that right away. And so that's where, Amanda, I think that you and Barb and Adam and I could have a really interesting conversation about, you know, <clears throat> challenging, maybe starting that could make sense. Um, I also like I'm not a big fan of the word productivity and productive um, because I don't like to think of myself as a machine and that my role in the world is to produce That is a thing that I think is very industrial, you know, industrial revolution, post-industrial revolution, you know, like, I think uh, Adam talks about it, it's sort of like work ethic that comes from the Puritans, and yeah, there it is, like, so... Long before the modern obsession with efficiency, precipitated by the industrial revolution and the Protestant work ethic, civilizations recognized the benefits of procrastination. In ancient Egypt, there were two different verbs for procrastination. One denoted laziness, the other meant waiting for the right time. Okay? I'm not saying I'm perfect at this, but I think that I waited for the right time to do that. Worked out great. We were prepared. We had the questions. I was able to look at them, think a little bit about my part, talk to somebody about how we might improvise, come back to that, and then improvise and just like make it feel easy and do it all in efficient 30 minutes and then move on. And then when I came back to reading originals later and I got into the procrastination part, not into the procrastination, but I was reading it because guess what? I had worked for more than 90 minutes on something going on two hours. It was time to eat and take a break and do some reading. And so I grabbed originals again. And what did originals do? Originals spurred me to do a strategy podcast episode about procrastination, pausing, improvisation, building pauses into workshops, and lots of other good stuff. So that, to me, is creativity yayful strategy and storytelling in an action and on a late afternoon, pages blown away, sunshine still streaming in, cats waiting to be fed, plenty of nature in the human soul. And I hope you found that interesting. And if you want to do a workshop with me soon, expect pauses and lots of different ways to put things together and lots of different ways to think about it and different people put together. And I think this is great because what it's also gonna help me do, is I revisited this and I found it, that important piece of paper, several important pieces of paper so that I could then get in the headspace to create a process that would be, um, make sense and be good for the next client that would be informed by this one, but not defined or dictated by it with plenty of room for creativity. And it's like jazz improvisation strategy. And as we said to the Philadelphia School, you are jazz, not punk. And if you know me, I think I'm jazz, not punk. I'm not gonna blow up your shit sometimes I might blow up shit but first I need to figure out what it is and then we'll improvise from there we need to have an underlying rhythm and an underlying sense of melody and song and voice in order for us to improvise and see where it takes us and it also assumes that you've got this like good base this foundation of stuff which is why um as Adam said and I'm paraphrased a few minutes ago is why you don't when you start a new job that it doesn't make sense to change everything right away and blow things up because you got to like figure out I don't know what your midway point is but you got to give it some time and and figure out how to build trust and all kinds of things like that which he talks about in his let's see the previous chapter called blind inventors and one-eyed investors and you know what I liked about I really dug about this because I was like, there's definitely, oh no, it was, sorry, it was the, <laughs> it was the Out on a Limb Speaking Truth to Power, Chapter 3. Um, and it was about a, a CIA analyst named Carmen M- M- Medina, Carmen Medina, and he talked about power and status and um, different ways to, um, talking about how to change the situation. So, but I'll talk about that another time. But what I liked about it is that he definitely studied and found studies and recognized that there were major gender differences um, amongst people having status and being heard and trusting. And that some of the very things that men get respected for, that when women behave in those similar ways, (coughs) they get called out as being aggressive you know, acting masculine or way worse which is why we are in a tough situation possibly an uphill battle for sure to get a woman elected president of this country but when we do when we do I can hardly wait to see if we can you know that she's going to get a voice in a different way do different things and say different things you know we don't know what they will be but I want that to happen and I see that happening in my lifetime and yours okay okay y'all happy yay day and thanks for playing along with me on the storytelling strategy adventure and I will see you soon on the yay road namashe